I woke up and uh, went to let the dog out, open up the door and was like, oh, wow, it's cold. Um, but in any case, it's, it's good to be here. Um, I was very thankful as I drove here that the weather was like it was last week rather than like this, because if we would try to do the parking lot party that we did last week and it was like this, that would have been quite difficult to have accomplished. So I'm thankful for the little things this morning. But in any case, if, if you've um, been around for a while, we over the summer we did this series called Summer School, and it's kind of during summer school you have different topics, different teachers, and so that's what we've done kind of all summer. And so over the past several weeks we've talked about quite a few different things. We talked about anxiety. We talked about shame. We talked about abiding in Christ. We've talked about freedom. We talked about mental health issues and the church's role in that. We've, we talked about being quick to listen. We talked about being slow to speak. We talked about um, not just wanting to live life in comfort, but to embrace discomfort and allowing Christ to comfort you. We talked about um, preparing ourselves for trials, and we had quite a few different people teach, and so we had Josh Baker preached, I preached, Chris Collins preached, Luke Barton preached, Kevin Osborne preached, Duke preached, and Bob Neubauer preached, and overall it was really cool to see kind of how God kind of formulated all that together, where really we didn't plan it all out, we kind of just were winging it, which is a lot what we do here often, but we were kind of winging it, and God put it together and wrote this beautiful series that we did over the summer, and I don't know how many people you remember what you did yesterday, let alone what we taught on before the summer series, uh, but we've been going through the book of Acts prior to that, and we got through Acts chapter 1 to chapter 7, and then we kind of pushed pause to do our summer series, and now we're going to kind of push unpause and go back into the book of Acts, and so we're going to pick up today in Acts chapter 8, and for those of you who are like, uh, I don't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday. How am I going to remember what we talked about in Acts? Um, we are going to, today is going to be a lot of kind of a recap of what we talked about all chapter one through seven. But if you are one of those weird freakish people that remember everything and remember all that we preached on months and months ago, um, it's not all going to be review. And so you'll, you'll be okay too if there's anybody who has one of those great insane memories um, that I do not have. So for today, Acts chapter 1 through 7, we're going to kind of bring us back up to speed so we can jump into Acts chapter 8. So if you remember in the Bible, if you know much about the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are basically telling the story of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And then the book of Acts picks up and it shares kind of what happens next. How does the church deal with, how do the people deal with the fact that Jesus had died and has risen again? And so... Um, Luke is um, kind of the prequel to the book of Acts. So you kind of have Acts, uh, Luke and Acts, kind of one continuous book. And so um, really, as we've been going through the book of Acts, it really picks up right after Jesus had died and risen again. Luke, then Acts jumps right in. And um, it's Jesus died, he had risen again, and he presents himself alive for a period of 40 days. And then he, um, in, in Acts chapter 1, he tells the disciples, he says, um, go to Jerusalem and wait, and you will receive power. And they probably don't really totally know what that means, but they obey. They go to Jerusalem and they're waiting. And then Acts chapter 8, Jesus says to them, or chapter 1, verse 8 says, um, when you receive power, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And again, they probably don't know exactly what that means, but they go back to Jerusalem and they're, they're waiting, and they know that they're going to receive power. They know that they're going to be God's witnesses. And then not long after that, the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. 
and they receive the Spirit, and the Spirit that God puts inside of them is the Spirit of God Himself, and it radically, drastically, dramatically changes everything. And really, if you read through, the, through Acts chapter 1 through 7, I think that you see three things that just repeat over and over and over again. The first one I think that you see is there's just this deep, rich, growing community that is boldly centered upon Christ. A second thing that I think that you see is you see many signs and wonders, and the biggest of that is you see people's lives radically changed through that spirit. A third thing that you see is that persecution begins to happen from authorities that don't really like the message of Jesus. And so for each of those things, the first one, the deep, rich, growing community that's boldly centered upon Christ, what you see is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread into prayer. This, this group of people, these Christians, they devote themselves to understanding who Jesus is and what he did and why he did it and what they're supposed to do next. Like they, they devoted themselves to that. They devoted themselves to spending time together, to eating meals together, to being together, to fellowship, to, to taking communion together. They just were devoted to one another. There was this deep, rich, growing community that was boldly centered on Christ. They began to sell their possessions and give their money to each other and to take care of one another. And they, they would take care of the widows and they would provide food for them. It was just this amazing community that was happening. But then it wasn't just growing in depth, it was growing in numbers. Like, like so many times throughout the first seven chapters of Acts, you see the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. You see just more and more people coming to know Jesus and coming to be a part of this community. And so there's this deep, rich, growing community that's boldly centered on Christ. You see, um, as the numbers are growing, there's, there's only so much that, that people can do. And so the 12 disciples are like, man, we can, we're like neglecting preaching and teaching the word in order to serve the widows, and so we should bring more people on. And so this growing community also was growing by like getting more people prepared to do ministry. And so they were um, growing, they were reproducing their leaders, um, and they were boldly sharing of Jesus everywhere they went. And so you see, again, a deep, rich, growing community that is boldly centered on Christ all throughout Acts chapter 1 through 7. The next thing that you see, um, there's many signs and wonders, and, and it kind of all starts when Jesus presents himself alive, and then he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And so just picture yourself, you're standing there with Jesus, and it says that he's just lifted into a cloud. Like if I'm standing here, and I'm just like, whoosh, and I'm up, you just see me disappear into the clouds, you're probably going to be like, what just happened? Like it's this crazy sign and wonder. And then two men in white robes show up, and they say, uh, Jesus is going to come again just like the way that he left. From then, there's a mighty rushing wind, a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and tongues of fire, don't even really know what that means, but tongues of fire float through the air, rest on the disciples, and they begin speaking known languages that they don't know the language. And all these people who speak dozens and dozens of, dozens of languages can hear in their own native tongue. And it's just this crazy signs and wonders that are happening. At one point, 3,000 people come to know Jesus, just like, boom, at the end of Peter's sermon. It's, it's, it's just signs and wonders. Not long after that, Peter, he heals someone in the name of Jesus. He just says to a lame man, in the name of Jesus, get up, and the guy gets up. Like, there's these crazy signs and wonders that are happening, and they're boldly teaching of Jesus. They're getting thrown in jail, and then they're still going to teach about Jesus. This same group of people who were so scared when Jesus was captured that even Peter 
denied Jesus three times, once to a servant girl. And yet there's this something that has miraculously changed, the signs and wonders, and the biggest of which is that lives were radically and powerfully changed. You see other signs and wonders. They're praying at one point in time, and the place that they're praying shakes. You see Ananias and Sapphira who decide to sell a piece of property to tell everybody that they're giving all the proceeds of the sale to the Lord, but really they weren't. They were holding some of it back. And because of that, because of lying to God, because of lying to the other believers, they drop dead. Like There's these crazy signs and wonders that are happening all throughout. Um, In chapter 5, people feel like if they just get by, if Peter's shadow goes by them, they will be healed. In chapter 5, it says that all the people there were healed. In chapter 5 later, an angel of the Lord breaks them out of jail. Like you're seeing crazy signs and wonders all throughout Acts chapter 1 through 7. And you also begin to see persecution. Like if you really think about this, Jesus himself says all these things and the people hated him for it. And so they put him to death. And so why wouldn't they also persecute the people who continue to say the same type of things that Jesus said? And so you get these people who are sharing the name of Jesus and they get arrested in, in chapter 4. They're questioned by elders and scribes and then they're warned and they're charged not to teach. They're, again, they're arrested. They're beat. They're charged not to speak. And then in chapter 6, there's secret investigations going into the people's lives and there's people coming forward with false witness saying that this person does this and does that. And again, they're, they're being persecuted. You get into Acts chapter 7, and you you meet a man named Stephen in chapter 6, but in chapter 7, he's sharing about this good news of Jesus, and the people stop their ears from listening, and they charge him. And they they drag him out of the city, and the people pick up rocks, and they throw rocks at this man until he dies. And there's a man by the name of Saul, who we'll talk about next week, who's standing there approving of the murder. This persecution is all throughout Acts chapter 1 through 7. And then as we turn the page today into Acts chapter 8, there arose a great persecution and that there began to be people who would enter house after house and drag men and women out of their homes and throw them in prison for teaching the name of Jesus or being associated with people who teach and speak of the name of Jesus. So you see these three things throughout. You see the the deep, the rich, growing community that's boldly centered on Christ. You see these signs and wonders, people's lives being changed. You see persecution. And when you put all that together, you know what I think you see? I think you see that they aren't just Sunday Christians. Like, I don't know how many of you, I, I can speak for myself, where it's easy to almost, you know, you're a Christian like one day a week or two days a week or only on the days when someone doesn't cut you off or, you know, those days when work is, it goes well, but when it doesn't, like it's, but, but these people all throughout chapter one through seven, they're not Sunday Christians. And you know, like back in the olden days, you'd go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And so they weren't even Christians who were Christian Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. These people were followers of Jesus day in and day out, no matter what was going on in their lives. I think when you really look at it, you see that this people lived their faith and they shared their faith. 
Really, I think what they've been doing is they have been being witnesses of Jesus, of who he is and what he's like. And if you go back into Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, when you get the Holy Spirit, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what has happened all chapter 1, all the way through 7. They have been his witnesses in Jerusalem. If you want to grab your Bibles, we'll flip open to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8, but today we're going to talk about all of chapter 8. And so tonight when you got home, if you want to go back and review what we talked about, you can feel free to read all of Acts chapter 8 because we're going to be talking about a majority of everything that's found in Acts chapter 8, although we'll just be reading um, verses 1 through 8. So again, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 8, and this is what it says. Excuse me. And Saul approved of his, Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were with them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Let's pray. God, I pray that you will open our hearts to receive what you want us to hear today. I pray that if there's anything that is of me and not of you, you will close it. And anything that that you would like me to speak, I pray that it comes out. I pray that you would open all of our hearts to hear your word, to learn from it, and um, to be changed. God, we again thank you, and we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we saw all through Acts chapter 1 through 7, they were being witnesses in Jerusalem. The first thing that that you see in Acts chapter 8 is we have a new location. Now we're in Samaria. We're not just in Jerusalem. It says that that they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so a lot has stayed the same, but some things have changed. The thing that's changed is the location. They're in this new location. They're kind of going. Now, Now, when you think about, when I think about persecution, like they get this persecution, I almost feel like if it was me, I would scatter. I would try to get out of there out of self-protection or out of trying to stay comfortable. But I think if you really study the word, I don't think that's actually what happened. I don't think that they're trying, that they're, they're scattering out of fear, or I don't think that they're scattering out of self-preservation, because even Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 23, he said, when you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. He says to them, do not fear those who can kill you, rather fear those that can destroy the soul and the body. You can also see throughout, Jesus had told his people that um, blessed are you when people persecute you for your reward is in heaven. In scripture, he says, listen, the world is going to hate you and it hates you because it hated me first. 
I don't think that, that they were surprised because even Jesus said, do not be surprised when the world hates you. Jesus had prepared them that they would be hated. He prepared them that they would have persecution. He prepared them that when you are persecuted and dragged into courts, don't worry because the Spirit will give you what you should say at that point in time. And so I think that the people weren't fleeing, weren't, weren't spreading, weren't scattering out of fear or self-preservation. They were, they were scattering because they were prepared and they were obeying the Lord to continue to take this message in other places. That's why Jesus had told them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so when they're persecuted in Jerusalem, they obey the Lord and they continue to spread this message other places. So they go to Samaria and they go to Judea. And as we continue through the book of Acts, they're going to take the message to the ends of the earth, which even we, in a totally different location, have heard the word of Jesus. And it's because of the scattering that happens here. So they're scattered into new locations. And so some things have changed. The location has changed. Also, the people have changed. We're, we were talking so much about the 12 disciples. And now, as we get into Acts chapter 8, we're talking mostly about a guy by the name of Philip. Now, this can get a little bit confusing because there is a disciple of Christ named Peter. Or, excuse me, there is, that's two, but there was one Philip as well. But there was a disciple who was named Philip, but who was also called Nathaniel. But the Philip we're talking about in Acts chapter 8 is a different Philip. So this Philip that we're meeting in, in that we're reading about in Acts chapter 8, we first met in Acts chapter 6. Remember the, the disciples were trying to feed the widows and they weren't getting around everybody and they felt like it was important for them to still focus on teaching the word. And so they bring on six, seven more people to, to do this work. And Stephen is one of them who we talk about, talked about in Acts chapter 7. And then Philip is another one of them. So this Philip is also later in Acts, Acts chapter 21 referred to as Philip the Evangelist. But this is the Philip that we, we see in, in this chapter. So we have different people. We have a different location. But a lot of things are, are the same. But what I love about seeing new people is this, like throughout the Bible, you had, like way back in the Bible, you have Moses, and Moses is about to die, and what does he do? He kind of passes the torch to Joshua. You see um, David, is a, or Saul is a king, and he kind of, he doesn't really pass, God passes the torch to David, but then David passes the torch to Solomon. Like you see throughout the Bible, people kind of passing the torch, and you see Jesus before he dies, he's preparing his disciples for when he dies that they would continue to take the message. And it appears to me that the disciples are doing the same type of thing. They're preparing others to continue to take that message out. They're, they're discipling other people. Like you see that, like we say that here at the church that our vision is to grow, reproduce, and to send people. And I think that's what you see in the book of Acts. They're growing, they're discipling, they're preparing people, and they're sending them out. And so you see Stephen, in a way, who's sent out and gets killed for it. You see Philip, who is now being sent out and who's being scattered. And so that's what you see. You see new people in new locations. So Philip gets to Samaria, and what he finds is this. He finds there's a guy by the name of Simon, and Simon is doing magic. And people are beginning to like, be like, wow, this guy's got some great signs and wonders. And so they start paying attention to him. And as they're paying attention to him, um, he begins to tell them that he's somebody great. 
And so all these people are seeing this guy doing magic, and they're kind of following him. They're kind of beginning to trust in him. They're kind of like, this guy seems pretty cool. He seems like he knows what he's doing, and he's saying he's somebody great. And so they begin to put some trust in him. And I, and I was thinking about this um, even this morning, and I was like, you know, how much is that so much like us? Like we're all looking for someone or something to worship. I mean, you can look all throughout our, our nation and you can find people who worship their jobs. You can find people who worship their families. You can find people who worship their significant other. You can find people who worship money, who worship status. You can, you can see all of these different types of things. All of us, I think, are looking for someone or something to worship. And, and I would say that every single person in this room, you have already found something or someone that you are worshiping. The question is, is who is it? What is it? And for these people in Samaria, they were beginning to worship this guy by the name of Simon. But Philip gets there, and what does he do? He lives his life before the people. Yeah, he does these signs and wonders, but the biggest thing that he does is he, he begins to live his life among the people. I think when you, when you read through this in Acts, it almost seems like Philip just shows up there, is there for like half a day, and then he pieces out and he's gone. But, but I think if you really pay attention to it, he's there for some amount of time. He's there for a while, and he's living his life among the people. And what he does is he finds people who are searching for something. And what he does is he begins to share the good news of Jesus with them. So all throughout this chapter, Philip, he finds people who are seeking after God. He shares the gospel with them. He shares the good news with them. He, he plants seeds. He waters them. And then in verse 12, they believe and are baptized. In verse 13, even Simon, the guy who's doing all this magic and stuff, who says he's somebody great, even he believes and is baptized. This beautiful picture of what happens there. In verse 26, God calls Philip to go somewhere else. He tells him to go south and to go to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. So he's basically, he was in Samaria, now he's going to, in essence, the area of Judea. And what does he do when he gets there? He gets there and God tells him, There's a, see the guy in the chariot? Go over there. So Philip has already found people who were searching, has lived his faith, has shared his faith, and now he again is in Judea and he finds this Ethiopian eunuch who's in his um, chariot who's reading the Bible. And so Philip just goes and he just, hey, can I come up onto the chariot? And he gets up on the chariot and he hangs out with the guy. And again, I think it appears that he's with this guy on the chariot as the chariot's driving for some amount of time. And what does Philip do? He shares the good news. Like, I think that we so often make it so difficult about what we should be doing for those of us who are followers of Christ. And Philip, what he does throughout this whole chapter is he, he lives his faith, he finds somebody who's searching, and he shares his faith. What he's doing is the same as what has been being done all throughout Acts chapter 1 through 7. He's simply being a witness. He's just being a witness to what he has seen, to what he has heard, to the, to the change of what happened in his life when Jesus came in. He's being a witness. Now he's being a witness in Samaria and in Judea. But 
It's different location. It's a different person, but it's, he's doing the exact same thing that they've been doing from the very beginning. He's being a witness. What is a witness? I was thinking about this. A witness is a person who shares what they've seen, what they've heard, who gives evidence, and who testifies to what they have seen. You know, it's, it's kind of the same thing. If you witnessed a crime, you would be called to be a witness. And what you, when you called to be a witness, you just have to share what you saw and what you heard. You, you're supposed to give evidence and testify to what it was that you have seen. And that's exactly what Philip is doing here. That's exactly what many of the disciples are doing all throughout the book of Acts so far. But the thing is, is it's not always um, safe. There's some risk. Especially like if you witnessed a dramatic crime, there's a risk involved in testifying to what you have seen. That's why there's such thing as the witness protection program, right? I've always thought it would be so cool to be in the witness protection program, other than I have to leave like my family and stuff. But like you, you, you some days that's you know. No, I'm just kidding. But like you, you've witnessed this crime and you have to testify to it, and so um, they worry about protecting you because you're not necessarily safe. If you've witnessed this this big crime, then then you're not necessarily safe. So so they take you and they want to keep you safe. The primary focus. Of, this, uh, of the witness protection program is your safety so that you can be a witness. But really, when, for those of us who are followers of Christ, the pri- our primary concern should not be our safety. It should not be our comfort. Our primary concern should be testifying to what we've seen and heard. And that's what happens is, is, is they're witnessing They're not in the witness protection program. They're not like sneaking off to Samaria and quietly trying to live a quiet life. They are boldly going to these other locations telling everybody of Jesus. I don't think that they're leaving for fear. I think they're leaving to obey the Lord and to be his witnesses where he's called them to be. I think as, as I read this, I can almost read Acts chapter 8 and be like, you know, if this is in the Bible, this is like some extraordinary, amazing thing that happened. This is like a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing. But I think, actually, this was just like an everyday occurrence. This wasn't some crazy, amazing thing. This was just everyday, normal life. Philip just wanted people to know Jesus. He was just being a witness. Now, he also had those mundane days of the, all that travel to get from Samaria to Judea had to have been quite a hike. We don't hear much about what happens then. I'm, there's, I'm sure there's times that aren't fun, that aren't exciting. But being a witness for Christ is that you just do what is being done here. That you share the good news. The people throughout this book, they begin to realize that this news is such great news that they cannot contain it. The news about Jesus is such great news, not of what they have done to earn God's love, but that God freely gave it to them. This good news overwhelms them. And as I was thinking through this, I was thinking, you know, I think our boldness of sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus it is directly proportioned to how bold we think His love for us is. Like, I don't think we're going to be bold sharing our, 
the love of Christ with other people unless we have boldly seen that love. So my thing for me is when I'm struggling with sharing my faith, I wonder if it's that I'm struggling with obeying or if it's more so that I'm struggling with comprehending just how good of news this news is. Because if I understand how good this news really is, I want to tell everybody. And if I don't, there's a reason why. Like, think about this. If you won a billion dollars, would you tell people? Most of us would be like, yeah, dude, I just won the lottery. This is so great. Now, if you wouldn't tell people, I know why. You wouldn't tell people that you won the million dollars because then everybody's going to want to be, and, and I just, I got to make sure there's enough for me. And, but the thing that's so great about God's love is we can be so overwhelmed with God's love and with his grace and it's such good news that we can, we can tell everybody, and guess what? There's more than enough of it to go around. I think that we almost don't want to share the faith sometimes. We just want to keep God's love to ourselves. Maybe it's because we just want our comfort. Maybe it's because we want um, to not be inconvenienced. But if we really understand how good of news this is, I think it would change what we do, how we do it. Um, so back onto the chariot. Philip is on this chariot with a guy, Ethiopian eunuch, and the guy's reading from the book of Isaiah. He's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And he's, he, he reads this. He says, he's reading this passage. It says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip, who is this talking about? What he's basically asking is, in Isaiah 53, it talks about a man. It talks about a man in Isaiah 53 who will be oppressed and who will be afflicted, who will be silent, who will be cut off, and who will be stricken for the transgressions of the people. So, in Isaiah 53, it makes it clear that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us do our own thing. All of us struggle in many different ways. But yet, there will be one man who will come and who will take care of all of that. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, who is this talking about? Like, I don't know about you, but I've never had an, ex an example quite that easy of like a, like a soft pitch lob that you're just ready to swing at, you know? It doesn't always happen that way, but in this particular situation, the guy basically says, hey, look, the, the Bible says that there's going to be someone who comes and who, 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 who is beaten and afflicted, and, and throughout Isaiah 53, who's going to be smitten, afflicted, who's going to be wounded for our sins, who will be crushed and chastised so that we can have peace, who will be beaten so that we can be healed. Who is that? Who is, who is that? It's a soft pitch lob. It's about being in the right place at the right time. And Philip says, it's talking about Jesus. Let me tell you about it. 
I think that we, we can feel like being a witness for Christ is this magical thing and we got to make sure we go to seminary and we got to do this, we got to do that. And I, I probably, I'm not, gonna, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to explain it right. And so I need to just take them to church rather than me tell them something. But, but I think that Philip just is there and he just lives his faith before people. And he shares his faith. He points to the good news of Jesus. And this man believes and is baptized. It's this beautiful picture in Acts chapter 8 of Philip who has received such good news that he cannot keep the news to himself. He goes to Samaria. He goes to Judea. His entire purpose of life is to share the good news of Jesus. His purpose in life is not the American dream. His purpose in life is not to have a house and 2.5 kids with a white picket fence. His, his goal of life is to expend himself sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I think that we can hear a message like this and we can feel um, conviction or we can feel guilt. Conviction is that God is leading us to do something that we're not. But I think guilt is, I need to work harder. I need to, I need to do this, and I need to do that. And I do not think that um, guilt is what we should feel in a message like this, because it's not by our own strength that we do this. It's through the Spirit. But when you read all through the book of Acts, and you see the Spirit profoundly and powerfully changing people's lives, for those of us who have a relationship with Christ, who are in Christ, who, who have come into a relationship with this one who was smitten and afflicted, who's by his stripes we are healed, we have that same spirit within us. And so what our life would be about when we're living by the spirit is sharing this good news with people. So my question for us as individuals is our life really about being a witness for Christ? Have we experienced that good news so much that the Spirit just cries out from us like Abba Father, that we have to share this good news with people? What about us and our families? Does, do our families, is our family reflected as people who have been so shaped by this good news? Our house churches different communities of people throughout this church? Are, are we known by the gospel has so powerfully changed us that we go forth? What about us as a church? Is the greenhouse known as people who've experienced such an amazing great news that it propels us, it compels us? Or are we a people, at a, is the church almost look like a people who are in the witness protection program? Well, we care so much more about our safety than about testifying to what we have seen and heard. Um, have we become comfortable? Have we become complacent? Are we going through the motions? Have we slowly slipped into being consumer-driven? I really think... Um, I'm not saying that we have, as a church, become comfortable, complacent, 
that we're just going through the motions. But I can say that I think that there is a severe, severe danger that we would. Are we comfortable, complacent? Are we going through the motions? Are we becoming consumers? I think that all of us, we need a a tremendous reminder of the good news of Jesus Christ. That by His stripes we were healed. That He was chastised for us. That because of our sins, we were separated from God, but, but God sent His Son who died on a cross so that we could be in a right relationship with God. That same God gives us the spirit that we would be able to, to testify to Him, that we would be reminded of this good news. My hope and my prayer is that we as a people that we as individuals, that we as a church, that we would not be comfortable and complacent, but that this good news of Jesus would ripple through our bodies. That it would propel us out through the spirit that he has given us. To wrap it up, Acts chapter 8, you see some new people in a new location. They're in Samaria and they're in Judea. You see Philip. But you know what? They're doing the same basic thing they've done all throughout the first seven chapters. There's deep, growing community that's boldly centered on Christ, and Philip is taking that bold community to people. There's many signs and wonders, including changed lives. There's persecution from those who don't like the message of Jesus, but ultimately what is happening with the group of people is that they are living their faith They're spending time with those who are searching and seeking for some good news, and they're sharing that good news. Witnesses are planting and watering seeds. They're pointing to Jesus. It's just everyday normal life being witnesses of Christ. What about us? Let's pray. Father God, I confess that I am so quick to forget just how much good news it is in Jesus. I confess that I can become so focused on my life and my stuff and my family and my this and my that rather than being reminded of the good news of Jesus that with Christ we do not need to feel shame that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that God loves us so much that He knitted us together in our mother's womb, that, 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 that God loves us so much that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, and yet, God, I, I so often lose sight of what great news that is. I can hear the news on TV, and I can become so concerned, so preoccupied, God, I pray for all of us in this room that we would not hear a message and think, I need to do a better job of witnessing to my neighbors. But we would hear a, job, hear, hear a message where we would say, I need to be reminded more and more and more of the good news of Jesus. And God, I pray that as we hear that good news of Jesus, that it changes everything. 
greatest power that I see in Jesus is the power to change people's lives, to give peace when there is no peace, to recognize good news when there's no other good news to know. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.